Hey there, and welcome to the Jacob's Well Podcast. So glad you're joining us this weekend. This weekend, we're going to be beginning a series called Worth It, in which we look at a letter where the Apostle Paul writes to a church he deeply loves, a church that has begun to profoundly misunderstand who he was and what he was all about and why he was doing the things he was doing. And more than anything else, they were starting to misunderstand what the gospel was. This church in Corinth is a church that Paul loves, and this letter is a great, great example of how to lean in to difficult stuff because the gospel makes it worth it. So I want you to imagine with me a frail old man The year is 64, 65 AD, and we're in the city of Ephesus, and the Apostle Paul is leaning over a a, a piece of parchment about to write a letter. Look at Paul, you might notice that he looks frail, he looks like he hasn't been physically well, and just looks like he's been through the ringer. And as he picks up his, his, uh, his quill to write, he looks up and he looks off into the distance. And in that moment, I just wonder, I just imagine, as he was getting ready to write this letter to this beloved church, this church that he had started, that he had sacrificed for, if he didn't just hesitate and wonder if it was worth it. If it was worth it. See, the church he was writing to was the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth had been a church where amazing things had happened. A lot of people had come to know Christ but it had been a battle. It had been a battle where, where they kept turning back to old sinful ways. It had been a battle where, where there were criticisms and, and it was just a hard church to lead. Interestingly enough, it was the most affluent of all the churches Paul worked with. Corinth was a very wealthy city. It was a city full of temptations. And, and so Paul has worked hard to help this church become healthy. He had written them an original letter and that original letter was not well received. So he wrote them another letter and this is the book of 1 Corinthians that we have in the Bible today. And that is a stinging letter. It's a letter with a lot of rebukes and a lot of calling the Corinthians to better things. Well, after that, he wrote a third letter, which he only refers to as the painful letter. And then he makes a, a special trip to them, and he refers to that trip as the painful trip. Well, now he wants to write them again because he's received a report from one of his, his followers who he sent to Corinth and Titus, who he loves and who the Corinthians love. And, and now Titus is sent back word and, and come back and said, uh, I have a report for you. He says, well, how's it going? He said, well, they received your last letter, the painful letter, um, and, and it's actually done some good. They've, they've responded and they're starting to repent. The, the person who's doing the really wicked thing has stopped that and they're trying to restore him and they're trying to figure that out. So So that's going pretty good. He says, well, what else? He said, well, you know, there's some other things going on in Corinth that I'm hesitant to mention. He said, no, go ahead and tell me. He said, well, the truth is there have been these other guys who've come into Corinth and they're kind of like these super apostles. They're, They're like calling themselves apostles and they have training and they have education. They have letters of references and they've kind of got the people kind of turned against you. They're, they're speaking against you. So, so, so what's being said against me? Well, a lot of the people who you love and led to Christ, they're starting to say some, some really hard things. And as Titus goes down the list of the accusations, I wonder if there wasn't a part of the Apostle Paul that just kind of swallowed hard and, and didn't feel that because the, the accusations are personal. They're about his character. They're accusing him of being the exact opposite of the person that he is. And I wonder after hearing that and having some time to digest it and deciding to write, he doesn't just pause and think to himself, I'll send them a letter. 
Or you know what? I'm never going to send them a letter again. But after considering it and thinking about it, at some point in some way, because of the gospel, the Apostle Paul decided it was worth it. And so we now have the letter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a wonderful letter. It's a letter that a lot of people read, and what they get from 2 Corinthians are what I call nuggets. They get nuggets. Nuggets are little verses that are just some of the most important verses, you know, in the Bible for us. They're precious to us. But but it's been my experience that most people leave so much on the table when they study 2 Corinthians because they don't understand the whole book. They don't understand the message. And there is so much practical wisdom in this book that we're going to unpack over the next several weeks, the next seven weeks. Um, it, It has potential to be incredibly powerful. Let's go ahead and take a look at how this book begins. It starts like this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ. Now notice he introduces himself as an apostle of Christ. Now he does that because one of the issues that is an issue in 2 Corinthians is that these new apostles are coming and they're saying Paul's not really an apostle. Now what an apostle is, is a person who because they were a witness to the resurrection had authority in the church and had authority to write the scriptures. And so Paul is writing and he's writing with authority and and the other apostles, the original 12 who hung around with Jesus, lived with Jesus, they wrote a lot of the gospels and they wrote some other books too. But one of the issues that were coming is that Paul was an apostle because he witnessed the resurrection through a vision. That is to say he was riding his horse to persecute Christians. Jesus showed up, knocked him off his horse and gave him a commission. And, And so Paul says, I'm an apostle and one he says, but I'm one abnormally born, or, or I came in, in a different way. And so some of the people are questioning whether or not he's an apostle at all, whether or not he has authority at all, whether or not they should listen to him at all. And so Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, look at this, by the will of God, not because I was elected, not because I was educated, but because God has called me and commissioned me to do this thing. I'm with Timothy, my brother, our, our brother. I'm writing to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in, uh, who are in the whole region. He goes on to say, I want to offer you grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's a blessing. Saying, I want to give what's not deserved, just like God gives us what's not deserved, and peace from God. Peace only comes from God through the gospel. And so he speaks of grace and peace through our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, now, like I say, I, I want this to be a different kind of teaching series for us. Because here's a little pastor trick I'm, I'm wanting to play on you, all right? It's not going to be a very good trick because I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. So the trick is this. Through the next seven weeks, I want to challenge you to become a more serious student of the Bible. I want to challenge you to take more seriously, maybe than you ever have before, your pursuit of learning how to use and understand and applying the Bible for yourself. Okay, some of you come to me, it happens to me every weekend. People come and say, oh God, God really spoke to you in this wonderful way. Well, part of the reason I do, do that happens is because a lot of you pray for me and the spirit of God speaks to me, but a lot of it happens because I go and I study and I think and I, and I look and I, and I look into it and, and the spirit of God speaks through me and that's an awesome thing. But here's the deal. The same spirit that's in me is in you. And if you like coming to the well that I dig and God speaks or maybe another pastor online or through the worship, why don't you try digging your own well? 
Because God would speak to you the way he speaks to me, the way he spoke to people in the Bible. God would speak to you. So many people say, oh, I just wish God would give me some direction. I just wish God would tell me what I'm supposed to do. I just wish God would just show me. I never hear from God. And God, I think, is up in heaven saying, well, I sent prophets. I sent apostles. And they wrote these books of the Bible, which you never interact with, which you haven't learned how to use. I sent my son, Jesus, who reveals everything about me in the most wonderful way. I got four gospels all about him. And, and, and in addition to that, I give you a church and there's studies and there's right now media and all these other kinds of things. I don't think God would mention right now media, but, but we have that. And, and, and he says, and on top of that, I have given each one of you as followers of Christ the spirit of God to be in you, to speak to you and through you. So not only would God, as you learn to use the word of God, speak to you in a powerful way, he would then teach you in humility how to speak to others the truths that you're discovering. And so the challenge over these next couple weeks is to dig your own well as we study through 2 Corinthians. Now, in order to do that, you've got to learn to do, um, you've got to learn to do some very important things. You've got to learn how to ask the right questions. And the big question we are going to ask today is why did Paul write this letter? Now, this is just good principles for interpretation so that you interpret the Bible properly. The key is to ask great questions. So we ask, who is the author, Paul? Who's he writing to Corinth? Because here's a revelation for some of you. This is going to surprise some of you, all right? The Bible was not written to you. What? What do you mean? I was told it was God's love letter to me. That's sentimental and unhelpful, actually. Because the truth is, the Bible was people writing in ancient time to other people in ancient time. And so the wrong question when you come to the Bible is, what does this mean to me? We ask that in Bible shows all the time. When you see that, what does it mean to me? And you say, well, I, I think it means this, and I think it means this. And, and what that makes is the Bible relative. So for you, it means this, and for you, it means this, and for you, it means it's all, it's all warm, wonderful. But here, listen, the Bible cannot mean what it did not mean. The Bible cannot be true in a way that it was not true. The Bible is about understanding what did this author say to this audience? What did it mean then? Because when I know what it means then, I can figure out how it applies now. What is the truth? But if I think in my view that I don't take the time to understand that dynamic, well, I'm going to get myself in big, big trouble. So we want to ask, why did Paul write this letter? Now, this is especially true in 2 Corinthians. This is why when so many people read it, all they get is nuggets. They get good stuff because there's little things in there that you can see. But if you were to take the time to understand why Paul is writing, that this is a personal letter, an intimate letter written for reasons, you understand that dynamic, you're going to start reading it and say, oh, oh, he wrote that to answer that question. Oh, he wrote that because of that issue. Oh, he's trying to explain that. And all of a sudden you will see the heart and the wisdom and the passion of the Apostle Paul and the word of God will come alive and your mind will be blown, your heart will be full and, and you will experience what the first disciples feel experienced when, they, when Jesus taught the Bible. They said, we're not our hearts burning within us when he opened the word of God to us. But it's not gonna happen if you glance at it, if you read it just... You've got to ask yourself, you've got to learn how to ask the right question. So, why did Paul write this letter? Five reasons we're going to discover why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. The first is that he wants to reconcile their relationship in preparation for a visit. 
He recognizes that the relationship is not good, and he wants to go and see him. And so to do that, he's sending this letter as a way of explaining what's going on. Now, the first thing he wants to understand is why he hadn't visited up to this point. Because during his last visit, he said, you know what, I'm going to come back and visit you again. And one of the accusations we're going to see in a minute that the people gave against him is that he doesn't do what he said. He said he was going to visit. Why didn't he visit? And so what he sa- we see is, he says this, he said, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. And so he's trying to explain why he didn't, and he says a lot more. But what we're going to discover when we see Paul's for reason for writing in terms of reconciling a relationship is there's a ton of wisdom that he he teaches us about the proper way and the proper timing and the proper motivation and how to speak the truth in love and how to say things in such a way that people can receive them. It's full of wisdom. A principle right here is sometimes what a relationship needs is time and space. Sometimes it just needs a break. And so tons of this is going to be uh, what Paul's going to teach us. Because I don't know about you, but, but sometimes my relationships get messy. Anybody ever have a messy relationship? A lot of conflict. Anybody here love conflict in relationships? Anybody? Anybody not raise their hand because they didn't want to cause conflict? (laughs) If that's it, you're the person who needs to learn how Paul did this. He goes on and he says to them about his letter. He said, for I wrote you out of much affliction, this painful letter that he had written, this one that was hard. He says, out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears he said it was not easy for him to say the things I needed to say and he said not to cause you pain he says it wasn't trying to or get my pound of flesh or any of that kind of stuff it was not to cause you pain but to let you know the abundant love I have for you and so he says you know I love you because I tell you the truth the scriptures say trust the wounds of a friend but a flatterer you should avoid a flatterer. So the person who tells you what you like to hear, what you need to hear, and never calls you out, says, Paul wrote, said, I'm going to say difficult things to you, and, and that's part of, of the relationship he has and part of what he's doing. He goes on to say about his visit. Now notice this is at the very end of the book, after 16 chapters, he says, I do want you to know that I'm going to keep my word. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intended to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you uh, with you or even spend the winter so that you may not you may help me on my journey wherever I go he goes on to say for I do not want for I do not want to see you now just in passing he says I'm willing to make commitment I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits and so he says I'm making plans to come with you and I want to make a big investment I, it's worth it to me to reconcile this relationship and Paul has tons of insight about how we are supposed to do that. So the first reason Paul is writing, and you should look for this in everything he says in 2 Corinthians, is in preparation for a reconciling visit. Now the second reason Paul writes is to respond to accusation and to expose what are called false apostles. Now, I don't know if you've ever been falsely accused. I don't know if anybody's ever said anything false about you, but it hurts. It's hard, and and there are all kinds of toxic ways we can respond. There are different kinds of accusations, right? There's some things that are just obviously goofy, untrue. Those are the ones that are easiest to dismiss. The ones that hurt are the ones where someone takes 
one small grain of truth about you and they make it normative for your entire life. They, they take one bad mistake that you've made or maybe it's not even that bad and they blow it up. This is what they did with the Apostle Paul. They said, you know what, this Apostle Paul, he can't be trusted because he says yes, but he means no. And when he says yes, he doesn't give us yes, he gives us no. Basically what he's saying, he doesn't keep his word. His yes is not yes. His yes is yes, and no, he's all over. And the evidence they gave for that is that he said he was going to come and visit us, and he didn't come and visit us. Now, the apostle Paul could have heard that and blown up and done whatever, but he handles it totally differently. He uses it as a teachable moment. We're not going to look at it now, but it's this incredible wisdom of how to handle these accusations. Now, look what he says about these accusations and how they fall on him. He says, we understand what it is to experience glory, that is good times where God's just working, and then dishonor. That is to say, times of disrespect. And there's nothing more toxic than healthy relationships than disrespect. Once a person feels disrespected and internalizes that, even if they don't realize they're doing it, man, it's just hard to get past that. It's a huge issue of maturity. So through glory and disrespect, through bad reports, they're given bad reports about him and other good reports, genuine, we are genuine people, yet regarded as imposters. They're saying you're a phony, you're an imposter, you're not real, you're deceitful, known, yet regarded as unknown. You say you've been real and transparent with us. We don't even know who you are. You're unknown to us. You're a stranger to us. These are people who he loves are saying these things. Dying, that is that you're dead to us, Paul, and, and your movement's dying, and the things, your words are, are, are just dead words, and yet we live on. And so he's, he's beginning to respond to some of the accusations. He goes on and says, we've been beaten, yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich. One of the accusations you're going to see has to do with Paul and money. Poor, yet making others rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. And so, so he's saying that these accusations are coming, and he begins to defend themselves. Now, here's something you really, really need to understand, or you're not going to understand a big part of the middle of the book of 2 Corinthians, okay? Paul does not want to respond to these accusations, he doesn't want to respond to the accusations. Instead, he, he, you know, and there are times, right, where we shouldn't respond to accusations. Sometimes if there's a small person who's unhealthy and kind of toxic and everybody knows they're toxic, they're shooting their mouth off, just let that go. But the reason Paul wants to respond to these accusations is because people are starting to believe the accusations, so they're starting to discount Paul, so now they're starting to dismiss Paul's gospel. They're starting to push the gospel away. And so he responds to the accusation, not to defend himself, not to protect his reputation, but instead to serve them again because of the gospel. Everything for Paul is going to be about the gospel. And so he says, I want you to understand this so you know that the message that I have given is trustworthy. And so he defends himself. And so he says things in 2 Corinthians like this. He says, okay, he says, I'm talking like a crazy person. I, I, I seem out of my mind. I cannot believe I'm going to do this. If I'm out of my mind, it's for you. Let me tell you all the things we've been through. Let me tell you why I did the things I did. Let me explain why these accusations are not true. And you can just feel that he's not comfortable with it, that he wishes he didn't have to do it. But he says, if I'm out of my mind, if I'm doing these things and defending myself, it is not for my sake, it's for your sake, so that you will see that the gospel we have given you is reliable. So what are some of the things that Paul has been accused of? It's actually a stunning list. He's accused, first of all, 
of only being interested in money. Now, this is really an ironic one with the Apostle Paul because this is a guy who lives in poverty. This is a guy who goes without regularly and routinely. He left a life of wealth and comfort to share the gospel. And, and on top of that, many of the churches supported the Apostle Paul, but the one church that didn't was Corinth. And the reason Corinth didn't is because, and, and they had the most. They were wealthy and they were kind of all worked up about money. And, and so they kind of were, were, were concerned about it. And so Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said again, 2 Corinthians, he said, you know what? I'm not going to take any money from you. I'm not going to take any money from you. He said, I never have, and I'm not going to now, because this is an issue for you, so that it does not limit your receiving of the gospel. I'm not going to take any money for you. But, but they were accused of him of being a cheap peddler of the gospel, someone who is just in it for the money. Now, the second thing they said is that he's dishonest and misleading. And this goes back to, he says yes, but he means no. His yes is not a yes. He doesn't keep his word. And it was this one thing of him saying, he said he was going to come and he didn't come in the way we expected and the time we expected. And again, not only were a lot of things going on in Paul's life, like, you know, getting thrown in jail, stuff like that, but he also, he just made up his mind that now's not the right time. And so, so they took a little thing and they made it normative for their entire life. This one little thing, he can't be trusted. Someone tells one thing that was inaccurate, their whole life is a liar. They do one thing, and the whole thing becomes normative, and this is the accusation. The other thing they said is he's a big talker, but little action. That is to say that he writes these bold, strong letters, but when he shows up, he's not that impressive. And apparently, Paul wasn't impressive. Apparently, he was smaller of stature, and he'd been sick, and, and he was not the kind of guy just oozing charisma. And so they say in person, he's not like these new apostles that are coming that are just so impressive in, in, in how they hang out and what they do. And, and so they accused him of that. In addition to that, they accused him of being a bad communicator and a confusing speaker. Now, anyone who's read the book of Romans said, okay, they got a point on that one. Because you read Romans, you say, what now, huh? And it is hard. But here's the deal. He's not spoon-feeding. He's giving deep, profound, unbelievably theological truths. And they said, because he's confusing, because we would, listen now, have to work to understand it. We shouldn't have to do that. These other speakers, they tell jokes. They're fun. They're funny. They spoon-feed. They just kind of tell us things that make us feel great. Every time I leave that church, every time I leave, I feel great. I actually think sometimes you should leave church not feeling great. Sometimes you should feel compelled or convicted. Sometimes what's needed is repentance. Sometimes truth stings. And so Paul is accused of being a person who's not a great communicator and a confusing speaker. And, and it, goes on. He goes on, it goes on to say this, and this one was particularly painful probably for Paul, is it was this. It said, if the apostle Paul is really of God, he wouldn't have so many problems. I mean, because these other teachers were coming in and saying, hey, look, Corinth, you're a great city, you got all this wealth. What Christianity is all about is about you just being safe. It's about you being protected. And if you pray right and live right and, and do what we say and make the right donations, well, it's going to create kind of this spiritual force field around you, protect you and your kids, and you're going to be happy. And this life is going to be great. Let me just tell you, there is no place in the Bible that promises this life is going to be great. To the contrary, the Bible promises in repeated places that in this life you will have tribulation. And so when they started saying this about the Apostle Paul, they say, look at this guy. He keeps getting shipwrecked. 
He keeps throwing Jonah in jail. He's constantly getting thrown out of towns. He gets beat up all the time. He makes people mad. He doesn't seem to have enough money. He's just, he just in distress all the time. If, if he were really a godly person, these things would not be happening. Now, I don't know if you've ever been shamed like that. You go through a difficult time, and some of it might be your fault, but some of it is just that this is a messy life, and someone comes with a simple answer and some kind of simple thing. Instead of, you just did this, you just did that, you wouldn't be this, you wouldn't be that, be all your fault. That's what they're doing to the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul is being accused of not being godly because bad things are happening in his life. Now, in addition to that, the, the, the core of the criticism is that the Apostle Paul really doesn't have any authority. He's not really an apostle. That these other super apostles, they were coming in, and wow, they had incredible visions. And they would talk about these visions, and it was just amazing visions. And they, they had these experiences where they talk about these miracles they did, and they saw and did amazing miracles. And in addition to that, they actually have apparently some kind of, they talk about letters of reference. That is to say, other famous people have sent them letters, and they're well-known, and they've been educated, and they have like a portfolio of some kind or something, and, and they come with these letters of reference. You know that? Paul never had letters of reference. Who, who sent him here? I mean, what's his credibility for doing these things? And so all these questions started coming. And when you understand the nature of those accusations, the nature of these things going on, all of a sudden, the, the book of Second Corinthians go, oh, it becomes full of meaning, full of insight. And you understand the wisdom in the heart of Paul in how he plans on responding to these things. So that's the second reason. Third reason the Apostle Paul is writing this letter is that he's collecting an offering for Judea. Now, this is not an offering for himself or for anyone around him. So what's going on is that every church, actually everywhere, originally came from the church in Jerusalem. And what happened was persecution came on the church in Jerusalem, and all kinds of people ran from Jerusalem, and everywhere they went, they started churches. Some of them went to a place called Antioch, and then Antioch, they started all these other churches. Now, meanwhile, Judea is still under horrible persecution. People can't find jobs. They're just being overwhelmed. And, and what ends up happening is all the other churches come together, and they say, hey, here's the deal. We're going to take an offering to help our original church in Jerusalem. That's the place where Peter and the apostles are. It's just, we're going to go help them. And what ends up happening is that Corinth says, yes, I will do this. We will help out. And then what ends up happening is Paul goes to other places and he starts saying, hey, Corinth is pumped about this. And then he got lots of churches on board. And then all of a sudden what happened is these false teachers coming in and it started becoming the people in Corinth said, wait a minute, maybe we're not going to do this offering. So what Paul does is he's saying, I'm going to come and then the brothers are going to collect the offering and we're going to send it off. But what he does is he even sends people ahead of himself. He says, but this is what I'm doing. I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. I told everybody you were on board and I'm counting on it and so uh, I boasted about you so that you may be ready as I said you would be. I said people, I told people you'd be ready for the offering and it's all being gathered it's going to come through when I come through we're going to send it on to Judea he goes on and says, so I thought it necessary to urge brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, the commitment that you made, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. And so what Paul does is he spends a, a, a couple chapters talking about the nature of giving, the nature of giving of yourself, your time, of your money, and how to do it with a joyful spirit. So this is the, the book that talks about a God loves a cheerful giver. It's a book that talks about 
Don't give under compulsion because you have to. Do it willingly and joyfully as God has laid on your heart. And so there's all kinds of insights about the nature of how the gospel changes how we become giving people. So that's the third reason he writes. The fourth reason he writes is to share about his afflictions, to share about his personal afflictions, to teach a better theology of suffering. Take a look at what he says. Very first thing he says. He says, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father who gives us mercy, that is to say what we don't deserve, And look at this, the God of all comfort. Now, what they desperately needed in wealthy, rich Corinth was a better theology of suffering. They needed to understand that suffering is part of this life. Affliction is part of this life. Guaranteed. There's nothing, nothing you can do to stop that. And so in this life, you're going to have tribulation. But what do we do? We have a terrible theology of suffering. We Something happens and we act like, wow, where did this come from? Well, it's called life. It's going to happen. You get the diagnosis. You get the report. The accident happens. Difficult things come. And then we act surprised. And then we have this sense that, why did this happen? This shouldn't happen to me. And didn't God promise that these kind of things wouldn't happen? Not at all. He promised us that he would be with us and that there's a place where there's no more suffering like that and that there are things that he will do through our suffering. Listen now, that can only happen through our affliction. And one of the things is, is we discover the God of all comfort. See, there are things you will not learn about God without pain, without loss, without failure, without tragedy, whether it's something you did or something who did, someone did to you, whether it's something that someone did that didn't have anything to do with you, but the the wave of it caught you up. That there's something you learn about who God is. And there's a ton in the book of 2 Corinthians about the nature of suffering, about the nature of pain. Our theology is it's bad. I just want to push it away and I shouldn't have to deal with this. And we find ourselves full of resentment towards God and life and all kinds of other things rather than seeing it. Let me just show you one thing here. There's so much in 2 Corinthians about this. Can't wait to show you more of it. He says this. Now the God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction. In our affliction. Look at this. So that, so that, so that. Here's the reason he comforts us in our affliction. So that we may be the comfort to those whom are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves, which we have received, are comforted by God. And so what he's basically saying is this is the deal, is that we experience the God of all comfort. He shows up, and he shows up in his presence, in his spirit, in the truth of his word. He shows up in other people who have hurt and have shown up and comforted us, and we experience things about God the best parts of God, the sustaining power of God when we're weak, the, the, the assurance of God when we're afraid. These are the things we experience, and it changes us so that now we are then prepared to be the comfort of Christ to other people. I mean, think about that. What we're talking about is a wonderful, beautiful word that allows relationships to become real and deep, that make humanity humanity, that make life worth living. The word is empathy. Empathy is I understand what you're feeling. No, really, I do understand what you're feeling because I've been through something like it. See, empathy, it's actually a brain thing. They can map it with, with the devices they have to map our brain so that if you go through something painful or an affliction or even something quite traumatic, it creates a memory map in your mind so that every time you think about it, that pathway of neurons, it, it just fires that way. 
And so that becomes a defined thing. And, 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 and the more difficult it is, you can remember the smells and the tastes and all those kinds of things like that. And so what happens is, is God brings us to a point of healing where he makes sense of that. It's not that, that it goes away. It's just that it reframes so many things. We learn a lot about ourselves and about God. And God uses it. We experience a comfort. And now we have that path. And so we're out doing life. And all of a sudden we see another person. And they went through something very similar. You know what happens in our brain? That path, we walk it again. We feel not only what we felt, we now feel what they feel. And so the God of all comfort uses that to make us then the comfort of Christ. So we can go to them and we can say, I understand. We can say, I'll be there. Or we might say nothing at all because we know that's what comfort often looks like. You know, one of the most painful things in the world is watching someone, maybe someone young or maybe someone who's lived a charmed life, try to comfort someone whose pain they don't understand. It's a clumsy, sometimes they'll come in with a bunch of sentiment and they'll lean into drama and that doesn't help. Sometimes they'll, they'll go in and they'll say clumsy, simplistic things, quick answers, rather than understanding that pain and grief and struggle and all that is a journey. And, and then later on, that, that same person goes through something themselves and then they become such a more powerful, powerful Minister for Christ, because we're all ministers for Christ. See, this is what pain will do. And this is just one of the little lessons in 2 Corinthians about the nature of suffering, a proper theology of suffering, about what we're supposed to learn about time and eternity, about what's important, about the gospel, and how the gospel requires some suffering if we're going to take the gospel seriously. And so all of this reframes everything we said. So he's wanting to share his affliction to help them build a healthy Theology of suffering. One more thing he wants to do in this. Uh, let me go back. There it is. He wants to reestablish the churches on the foundation of the gospel. So the big thing Paul wants to do is remind them that everything that I've done, everything that I've said, everything that I've been about has been about the gospel. The gospel. Look, This is from his, his second letter, which for us is 1 Corinthians. He said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So why did Paul do what he did? Why does he go on this trip and not go on this trip? Why does he, he write this letter? And why does he say these things? And why does he call them? Because the gospel is everything for Paul. Now what's the gospel? The gospel very simply is this. It is the good story of the life, the passion, that is to say the suffering and death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the Apostle Paul truly believed that that is true. And that defines his entire life. He left security and fame and and wealth because of the gospel. He goes through the suffering because of the gospel. He is writing this letter of 2 Corinthians to this church so that they don't forget the gospel because they had a problem. The gospel kept slipping out of the center of their view. And other things started becoming primary. I would like my comfort. I would like my security. I'd like my fame. I've got this objective. Now, all of those in and of themselves are empty until you bring the gospel back. When the gospel is in the center of your life, it changes everything. It changes the nature of how you handle conflict. Because without the gospel, you can say, oh, you hurt me? You're dead to me. And and I'm going to hurt you if I can. But the gospel said, while I was still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for me. And Jesus said, forgive your enemies. Oh, 
The gospel says I have to handle this differently. The gospel changes how I use my resources, how I use my time, how I use my talents. Before it was about what can I get, how can I use it, what do I want to do? Now it's, God, this belongs to you. How can I use it for your purposes to share your story? It changes the way you look at suffering all the way down to the point where we say, God, if some suffering is required in my life for you to use it to share your story, that's okay with me. And I don't like it, I don't want it, but if it's necessary for the gospel, if you're going to bring me something to equip me to be the comfort of God for someone else at another time, I will receive it. You see, radical different. It changes the way you look at false teachers. One of the things that Paul wants to do is he wants to, and we're going to have a whole message on this, he wants to, he wants to reveal who these false teachers are. Have you ever wondered when you go out on the internet, you listen to all the preachers, there's preachers, teachers, all these people, saying, how do you recognize the false teachers from the true teachers? Well, 2 Corinthians gives us all kinds of insight on that. What are the keys that this is not someone I should be listening to? This is not someone I should be giving my time and attention to. This is not someone I should be giving any donations to. This is not someone, you know, that, that, that I should actually be supporting. In fact, I should be speaking out against this person. How do you recognize that? Well, it all comes back to the gospel. It all comes back to the gospel. So the gospel frames absolutely everything. The good story of God. Now, now I want to let you know, one of the reasons we're doing 2 Corinthians right now is because we're at a point right now where we've just finished, you know, live it well, and, and we're here in our new campus, and, and we really have been praying deeply for months now, like going back to September as leadership, just what is God wanting to do in, in the next couple years? And one of the big things that God has just kind of stopped us in our tracks is that we as a church need to rediscover the gospel. We as a church need to recenter ourselves on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as a church need to think deeply again about what all the implications of the gospels are. Because we, like Corinth, find ourselves with so much, so blessed, that it's very easy for the gospel to just drift off to the side. And so one of the challenges in 2 Corinthians is actually setting us up for a lot of the teaching next year that is going to be a lot about rediscovering what does it mean to live as a person who actually believes and is building their life around the reality that Jesus really lived, he really died, and he really rose from the dead. That if that is really true, if that actually happened, it has to change everything about me. It'll change my thinking, my relationships, how I act, how I live. It absolutely changes everything. And so we got some work to do. I want to challenge you with some next steps. This is kind of some neat meat and potatoes work. And I want to go full circle to where I started. I want to challenge you to be a more serious student of the Bible. I want to challenge you to dig your own well. I want to challenge you over the next seven weeks to take the book of 2 Corinthians seriously. Some of you may just want to read through the book this week. And if you do that, go ahead and grab those five reasons I mentioned about the Apostle Paul, why he, why he wrote. And, and if you just slow down and start questioning the text, why did he say that? What is that all about? I don't under, sometimes we go to the Bible, I don't understand that, so I shouldn't have to struggle with it. Struggle with it a little bit. Question it. Wonder about it. Look it up. And, and, and then all of a sudden you must think, wow, that makes so much sense. His heart is there. And all of a sudden the word of God starts coming alive. And, and you might read 2 Corinthians. Now, we have done something for you here. We have actually written um, all our devotions. So this is seven weeks of devotions for you, uh, for this series, and you can pick it up. Uh, we actually ran on last service, but we're 
busily printing more, and I believe they have more. It'll be online even when we run out. But I just encourage every single person to get it. And let me just show you here, like on the second page, um, uh, we have those five reasons Paul wrote, because some of you were thinking, oh, I didn't write that down. I should have written that down. We wrote it down because we know what you're like. And so... Um, You could grab one of these and you could go on this journey where you may have a deeper experience of Bible study than you ever had before. Your small group may want to do it. You may want to go to Right Now Media, put in 2 Corinthians. Tons of resources on there. And you might take some time to let the word of God, because I don't know if you need any help with relational conflict. Don't know if you need any help making sense of suffering. Don't, don't know if you need any help with understanding what your life is all about in terms of time, resource, and all that kind of stuff. Don't know if you need any trouble discerning whether or not you have a false teacher or a, a, a good teacher you should listen to. But these are the kinds of things, and there's many more, that 2 Corinthians are all about. There are treasures there. And you can just read it, and you'll get some nuggets, and that'll be good. Or you could marinate in the Word of God. You, you, could, you could dig deep. You could do some work. And God would speak to you. He promised his spirit will lead you. His spirit will be there. His spirit will teach you if you would just listen to him. So, are we ready to go with this church? Come on, that's good. So much better than 9 o'clock. They're barely awake. Way to go, 1045. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we love that you speak to us. You are God who still speaks. You speak through your son as our life and example. He explodes off the pages of the gospel. We want to know you, Jesus. And you speak through your word. Help us to become people who properly handle, who correctly handle the word of truth. People who ask the right questions. People who get deeper. And what we will find is we'll never get to the bottom. The deeper we'll find, the more insight, the more truth, the more life-changing revelation. Father, I thank you so much for this adventure that we as a church are beginning. I pray that you would just give us discipline and resolve by the power of your Holy Spirit to be people who question the scriptures ask the right questions that they could come alive for us. I just am so excited for what we're going to experience. Just pour out your spirit on your people. Thank you so much for including us as your people and speaking to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.